You may be seated. This tech crew we got is good, aren't they? Hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord. There was a man, 1824, sentenced to hanged. Uh, six men, really. It was a Fall Creek massacre. Six men, six white men murdered nine uh, uh, Miami and Seneca Indians and wounded another. And among the nine dead were three women and four children. And so they were caught and they were sentenced to hang, every one of them. Of course, some had more to do with it than others. But there was a young man named John Bridge Jr. His daddy, John Bridge Sr., was a big part of it. And uh, they're there on this day, and they're waiting really for a pardon. The young man, his son, everybody felt like wasn't as guilty as those others. But he still received the same punishment. So they hang the daddy, and then they hang the uncle. Sawyer was his name. And they're still waiting on a pardon. There's nothing to do. So what they do, a preacher gets up and preaches a message. He's stalling for time. He preaches a message. Nothing. No pardon or anything. So they take the young man and they lead him up to the gallows. They put the rope around his neck. They're ready to, to hang him because no pardon has come. All of a sudden, a stranger rides in. He looks at the condemned man. He said, sir, do you know whose presence you stand? And he said, no, sir. He said, there are but two powers that can keep you from hanging today. One of them is the God of the universe. He can keep you from hanging. The other is J. Brown Ray, the governor of, of the state of Indiana. And he said, I stand before you today and hand you a pardon. And the young man's life was spared. He went on to be a great citizen and died 51 years later. Can you imagine the fear that that young man had as he seen his daddy carried up there and, and hanged. And then he seen his brother, his uncle carried up there and hanged. And then he's being led up there and the rope is around his neck. Can you imagine the fear in that young man's life of what in the world? I can't imagine it, but I want to tell you, there's a woman in John chapter 8 that can imagine it. She's done the same thing. Jesus is sitting there teaching. You remember he's going to the Feast of the, Tabernac uh, Feast of the Tabernacles. Lots of people there. It's a seven-day feast. And he's teaching in the temple. Now, the scripture tells us uh, that, that uh, 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 he had been at the Mount of Olives. The Bible says in verse 8, he went unto the Mount of Olives. And then he stayed all night there. I don't know if he was uh, looking at the stars he made. I don't know if he prayed all night. But what happened is the guys who were with him, the disciples and those of his disciples, they went home to their bed. And Jesus had no place to lay his head. He stayed up all night. But then I noticed that the verse 2, early in the morning. Now, you know, if Jesus had a, he had a hard day the day before. He's taught a lot of people. A lot of things have gone on. And he's been at the Mount of Olives all night long. Looked to me like he could have slept in a little while. I mean, he had it coming, but he didn't. He knew there would be people at the temple that needed him that would be hurting. And he, in his foresight, knew that he would meet this woman right there. He knew what was going to happen. You see, the Bible says in John 7, if any man will do his will, 
he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. You want to know a good way to know more truth is to act on the truth that you already know. When you begin to act on the truth that you already know, then God can open it up and give you more truth to act upon there. And then verse 43 of chapter 7, the Bible says there was a division among the people because of him. They're talking about Jesus. Listen to me. Anytime you're preaching the true word of God, there will always be a division. There will always be people that say, I don't want to believe that. I'm not going to believe that. Then there are others who say, I will believe that. And there's always a division. Uh, some believed and some didn't. He went into the Mount of Olives and the Son of God, early the next morning, he was going to meet a person, a religious people would not accept. The world would not accept this woman. They were setting her up. And the Son of God, the sinless Savior of the world, the one who loves us, the one who's got compassion for us, the one who accepts us, because Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That sinless Son of God. Listen, folks, we live in a heartless world today. It's bitter, it's hateful, it's mean-spirited, it's full of separation, bigotry, disdain for the things of God. People are conceited in many instances. Nobody cares about nothing but themselves. That's the world we live in today. Aren't you glad this morning that Jesus loves me? This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves the people sitting beside you this morning. He loves the people who never come to church he loves the people who are in jail this morning. He loves the people who are homeless, sleeping in the slums and on the other side of the tracks. He loves the people who have done wrong. He loves the people that the world hates. He loves the people that are thinking they're the least important of all and they're nothing, yet our Savior loves. I'm glad Jesus shows up in John chapter 8 to let people know that he doesn't care about just some people. But he loves everybody. Now, there's a crowd preaching today that he only saves certain elect people. It's always the ones that are preaching it that are elected. I'm not sure how they come up to that. But I want to tell you this morning, I want to just tell you right now, Jesus doesn't love select people. Jesus loves the world. It's his will, none perish, but all come to life. And people say, preacher, you ought not be preaching that doctrine. He can't love everybody. He loves everybody. Get over it. If you think I'm too good, to, you get over it. Get over it. Jesus loves me, for the Bible tells me so. Well, you look here at the first thing, and you see a sinful person. Verse 3 says, The scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. They set her in his midst, and they say, Master, this woman was taken in adultery the very act. He's in the temple. It's crammed. People are listening. The Bible says they were astonished at the way Jesus spoke. And they're all listening to him. And here come the scribes and Pharisees coming down. The place is packed. And they're saying, move over, move over. And they're dragging this lady, uh, maybe half-dressed, caught in the act of adultery. And they put her right down at the feet of Jesus. Say, so this woman was caught in the act, adulterous act. Now, let me tell you, let's make sure that we understand this. This sin was not okay or justified. None of us are able to condemn this woman, not because maybe we've not committed adultery, but because we've sinned. Listen, if you've sinned, you're in the same boat as everybody else in this place. You're in the same boat. Uh, 
young man told us earlier that was saved this morning. He said, I've sinned probably four times. I thought, son, you don't have any idea. We're all in the same boat. And praise God, he was gloriously saved here uh, and made a profession of faith in the first service here. Her, her, she is there standing in fear and shame. And it's an evil plot. It's not there because she necessarily was in a, in a, committed in adultery. These people were scheming. It's a biblical test. Moses says she ought to be stoned. Leviticus 20 tells us that. Deuteronomy 22, 22. If any man be found lying with a woman married to a husband, then they both shall, of them shall die. You see, we got a problem here. Where's the man? Where's the man? See, they, they've set this thing up. They got this woman here caught in the act of adultery. Last time I checked, it took two people to do that. Where is the man at? They're not worried about the man. They're not worried about sin or justice. They want to catch Jesus. I want to tell you, I've warned all these young preachers, I'll tell you again, be careful of people who ask questions trying to back you in a corner. That ain't nothing but the devil. They ain't nothing but the devil. We don't have all the answers. When you ask me questions, I don't know. I don't know. What are we going to do tomorrow? I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. They back Jesus in a corner, and the question is before him because they're saying, this is what Moses said, but Jesus, what do you say? What do you say we're going to do? And, of course, if he dismissed the woman, they would have accused him of being blind to her sinfulness, and they would have... Uh, been arrested for ignoring the law of Moses. On the other hand, if he gave his approval to Stoner, then he would have been reported to Rome as a rebel rouser. They, I just got to thinking, how many times, I need to look through the Bible and figure this thing out. How many times the devil thought, we got him. We got him. This is one of those times, we got him. Boy, he, there ain't no way he can go. We got him either way he goes. We sure have got him. Uh, of course, the biggest time the devil said that was on the resurrection day. Don't you know as Jesus died on the cross and then he spent three days in that tomb, that devil's begin to kind of rear back and say, hey, we got him, we got him. But on that third day, up from the grave he arose and he's alive today. I want to tell you, the devil will try to hem you up and tell you, we got you, we got you. But I want to tell you, if you're saved by the blood of Jesus, he's going to have to pry the Savior's hands off from around you. Because I'm telling you, he, you're wrapped up in the blood of Jesus. The, the, he, he, he's got a position here. Jesus stoops down, he says, in verse 6, and with his finger wrote on the ground. And here's the thing that annoys people, just like you never heard them. You want to tick people off? Just ignore them. Act like you never heard them. Boy, you talk about ticking them off. That will send uh, up in the shatter. He, he, you said, what did he write on the ground? I don't know. I have no idea what he wrote on the ground. We're not told what he wrote on the ground. I think probably he may be writing the names of those other prostitutes that those other religious people had been with. Huh? I don't know that. I don't know. But I'll tell you what I do know. Whatever he wrote got their attention. I'll tell you that. They're looking down at it and whoo, look at here. Now, here's the thing I love from this story. I, I, mm, oh, Lord, I repent. Jesus 
was caring and loving. He never tried to create more shame for this woman. He never tried to hurt her. She's sitting there in his midst, and he's not saying, Woman, you, you look like I don't know what. Mm. He never does that. He doesn't do that to you today either. He's far more interested in your future than he is your past. You come to him, he'll, give you, he'll forgive you of your past, and you can move on in the future. Now, there's coming a day, listen to me, there's coming a day when Jesus is going to sit at the judgment seat, and it's going to be justice, period. I mean, period. But we're not at that day. And I want to just be honest with you, some of you ought to praise the Lord we're not at that day. We're in the day of grace right now. If you'll come to Jesus and ask him to forgive you of your sin and make him Lord and Savior of your life, he'll love you and care for you and forgive you. And according to Romans 13, uh, Romans uh, 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He'll do that right now. We're in the day of grace. But there's coming a day. Listen, two hurricanes in the Gulf it's never happened before. I mean, every time you look around, you see something happened that's never happened before. You say, wow, that's wild. No, that's a sign that Jesus is coming again. And it's getting sooner and it's getting sooner. And if you've never trusted Christ, I want to tell you, this is the day you need to trust him. He stoops down here, but he's very sensitive. I don't know that he even ever looked at the woman there. She's standing there in tears and her fears and maybe some nakedness there. The text says he ignored all of the noise. He was willing to stoop down. Woo, have mercy. He was willing to stoop down to my level and pick me up and save me. You didn't deserve to be saved. Don't sit here like cocked up like you ought to be saved. You deserve to go to hell is what you deserve. But Jesus stooped down and picked you up and touched you through the power of the Holy Spirit and saved you. Anybody in this place that's been saved, you got saved the same way. It don't matter if you're 10 years old or if you're 80 years old. He stoops down. He's willing to do that. Aren't you glad when we couldn't go to him, he came to us? <laughs> his, his silence here, he's riding and, and as though he never heard him there. And and. It would seem that Jesus, in Jeremiah 17, 13, the Bible says, Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed, and they that depart from me shall be written in the earth because they've forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. It's almost like Jesus is beginning to identify the sins of the woman's accusers there. And, uh, and then this petition, man, verse 7, when they continued asking him, now the tide's turning. They walk in there, buddy. They've got their, they've got their shoulders broad. They're, they're, they know what they're going to do. They've got Jesus hemmed up. And they call, walk in there and say, Moses says we need to stone her. What do you say, Jesus? What do you say, Jesus? And they're all cocky and everything. But now they just stand there looking down in silence as Jesus stooped and wrote in the sand. Ah, they begin to ask him again about his response. And he looks at each one and he says, the one without sin, you're the one that can stone her. He stooped down again and wrote 
on the ground. Verse 9 says, They which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. I love the Word of God. It is, it is so explicit. He starts with the older men. The older men left. Say, preacher, why did the older men leave first? Because we older men got more sin to think about. Let me tell you something right now. The older I get, the more I love grace. Woo! I, I, I sat down in my office at the house this last week, and I thought, you know, Lord, I remember this time. Now, I don't remember everything, but I, I remember this time in 1968 when you, you had every right I should have died. I remember this time that I should have died, and, Lord, you were right there to protect me. You were right there to lift me up. I would not be here today were it not for the grace of God. It's the grace of God. And I got news for you. You wouldn't be either. You wouldn't be either. I work hard. If he shut the air down, you wouldn't have worked, period. He's in control of the earth's air conditioning. Did you know that? I think he turns it up a little bit more in Texas here. But he's in control of the air we breathe. People are scared to death that God's going to zap them. God don't have to zap anybody. All you got to do is quit breathing the air and you'll fall on your own. Mm, I love this. The sinner is pardoned. Psalm 103.14, For he knoweth our frame, he remembered that we are dust. This woman was a sinner. She was condemned for her part in the adulterous act. But Jesus is not here to condemn her. He's here to save her. He's here to help her. Wow. Caught in the very act. I mean, when you're caught in the act, you don't have anywhere to go. There's nothing you can do. Probably the most notable event in her life. Mm. Alan Carr tells a story about someone who understands. There's an old farmer. His dog had some puppies. And uh, he put up a sign. He was putting it up. Last nail, he felt something tug on his overalls. And it was a little kid. Little kid said, Mister, I'd like to buy one of your puppies. The farmer looked down at him and said, Son, uh, these puppies come from parents that are good parents and they cost a lot of money. The little boy dug down in his pocket and he had 39 cents. He said, Mister, can I at least look at them for 39 cents? And the man said, Yeah, yeah, you can do that. And he whistled and hollered, Hey, Dolly! And here comes the dog out of the doghouse with four little old fur balls right behind that dog following. And his eyes are big, and he's all thrilled and everything. The dogs made their way to the fence, and but the little boy noticed something else stirring in the doghouse. And kind of rolling out of that doghouse was another little fur ball. He couldn't run as fast as the other. He was really smaller than the other in somewhat awkward manner. He began hobbling toward the other. And the little boy said, that's the one I want right there. I want him. The farmer looked down at him, knelt down by the boy's side and said, son, you don't want that puppy. He'll never be able to run and play with you like these other dogs can do. And the little boy stopped, stepped back from the fence, and he reached down and began to roll up his britches. He revealed a steel brace running down both sides of his leg and attaching itself to a specially made shoe. 
And he looked at the farmer and he said, you see, sir, I don't run too well myself. And I believe he's going to need someone who will understand him. That's the one I want. Could I tell you this morning that Jesus understands you? You say, preacher, you don't know where I am. No, but I know what Jesus does. He can meet you where you are. And I'm telling you this morning, if you've been without Christ and you're not saved this morning, you've never publicly professed Jesus Christ, that's the getting on place. That's step one of coming down this aisle and publicly professing Jesus Christ. And you say, I've got, I've got too many sins. I've got this I've got to take care of. Preacher, I love the church. I love all that, but I've got to do this, and then I'll come back. No, you won't. No, you won't. The devil will make sure you don't. I'm telling you, if God is speaking to your heart, knocking at your heart right now, I don't care who you are. I don't care how old you are. Right now is your day of salvation. You ought to come to Jesus and be saved. I will tell you, there, I could, we could have testimony all day here of each one that would tell us, boy, I tried this, thought it was going to work. Worked for a while, and then it didn't work. Nothing is going to work outside of Jesus Christ. And so I'm inviting you to come. If you're here today and you say, Preacher, I know I'm saved. Well, is there anybody that you know that's not saved? Would you be willing to walk all the way from where you are and lean down here at this altar and cry out to God and say, God, this is my kinfolk. This is my friend. Maybe it's a missionary. We need to be praying for uh, Haiti, that hurricane right over the middle of Haiti, even while I'm speaking right now. They're going through it right now in our mission down there. And I'm telling you, if, if there's nothing you can pray for, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what to say. In this world that we live today, there ought to be somebody that you get interested in that you could lead to the Lord. Maybe you need a church home. I tell people all the time, there's two things I tell people. Number one, good music covers a multitude of bad preaching. That's why we got great music here. Amen? And number two, I tell people all the time, if you can get beyond the pastor, this is a tremendous church. It's a tremendous church. God has a place for you, but it's up to you. The, the ball is in your court. Father, we praise you this morning. Thank you. Thank you for saving our souls. Lord, when we were so unworthy, you came down to where we were and lifted us up and saved our souls. Lord, I thank you this morning for those right now. I'm claiming the victory, God, that they're going to be saved today, right now, and they're going to make it public. Maybe they came today thinking, I'm not going to do nothing. I'm not going to move. I'm not doing nothing. But, Lord, the Holy Spirit, God, would you fall fresh on this place and touch people's lives. And, Lord, would they say, yes, today I'm going to follow Jesus. I've decided I'm giving everything to him. I'm going to follow Jesus. Lord, would you have your way in our lives in these next few moments. We'll give you the glory and the praise. I pray these altars would be filled up. God, help us not to be conceited and uncaring. Oh, God, when you come back, help us to be found always praying, pleading, weeping for people to be saved and get into the kingdom of God. Have your way now, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen.